This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we've got Grigory Gorstein, a newer investor here in Austin, but a longtime investor up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's also a broker, a property manager, and an investor in multiple states, and today he'll share more about that. But real quick, Grigory, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm happy to be in Austin and away from the crappier weather that's happening in Minnesota. So sure. it's good to be here. Well, yeah, and we'll definitely talk about why you're in Austin here in just a bit. But real quick, who are you and how are you involved with real estate investing? Sure. So my name is Grigori Gorstin, as he mentioned. Um, I got into real estate at a very young age. I got my license uh, back when I was 19 years old. Uh, my father has been in real estate since 2000. Um, I saw him work through the you know Great Recession in 08 and how he maneuvered through that. And um, you know they started investing when the market crashed, uh, primarily in North Minneapolis and Minnesota uh, into Section 8 housing. And I saw them do that. And you know as I got older and graduated college and whatnot, I got into real estate investing, and now that is my full-time job along with being a broker and a property manager. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I definitely want to talk more about uh, Section 8 and and obviously you and what your family's done. So I, know, I obviously know your story pretty well. We've known each other for a long time. Um, your family started investing before the meltdown, correct? Yeah, so they actually bought some properties. Uh, my parents did with a partner. Back in the early 2000s, they bought um, three, I believe it was three properties in the suburbs and in, in better suburbs of, of the Twin Cities. Um, and they basically, you know, had rented them out and the recession happened. So they, they powered through it. And then once the market started climbing back up, they weren't um, one of those unfortunates that had to go into foreclosure and, and let their properties go, as a lot of people did. But they were uh, able to bear the storm, so to speak. And they wound up selling all of them, you know, after the market came back up, uh, you know, three, two to three years ago. And yeah, I really want to talk about that a little bit too. So um, obviously I, I know what happened with your dad there. He was my first broker, but he was underwater on all those properties for a while. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of people went into foreclosure he absolutely could have just let him go, but he didn't. And I tell everybody that, that I talk to, I say, hey, if your value ever goes down, there's a simple way to not lose money. Just don't sell. And that's exactly what he did. He just waited until it made sense to sell. Yeah, exactly. And on those three properties, they had one in Coon Rapids, one in St. Louis Park, and one in Eden Prairie. And they, um, those three houses, the rents were, they were doing Section 8 rentals on all three of those. And um and, you know, the, the mortgage was being paid for, but they were obviously putting money out of pocket through those, you know, three, you know, two to three years, four years um, for maintenance and things like that. So it wasn't, you know, cash flowing as well as obviously properties are cash flowing now um, in any major market. But 
um, you know, back then it was tough because all the mortgages were super high once, you know, the arm was up and they went to, to market interest rates and, you know, they, they decided they're not going to go to foreclosure. They're going to just put in a little bit of money that they had to every month or so to keep the properties. Cause my dad obviously knew the market is cyclical and it's going to come back and they'll make their money down the road just through equity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good lesson to a lot of people is don't freak out right now or right when something goes wrong and think, Oh, it, it's not better now. And it's not better in three or six months. If you wait long enough with real estate, your prices are always going to go up. Your rents are always going to go up. It's typically always, I mean, there, there's never a time where 10 years from now, the prices aren't up and rents aren't up. You know, maybe a year from now, prices might not be the same and rents might be flat or down a little bit, but you can never look back and say, oh, in 1990 and in 2000, in 2000 prices are much higher than in 1990. Oh, so absolutely. Just, just keep time on your side. Um. And yeah, so you mentioned that, you know, your family got into real estate in 2000. How did your family get started doing that? And where are you from? And you know, like, what were they doing before that? Yeah, so originally, sorry, that's my dog slipping on the floors here. Um, but originally, we're from Moscow, Russia. Uh, my dad had his own construction company there. It was one of the first privatized construction companies. Um, when the Soviet Union collapsed. So we were doing pretty well. And um, when we moved here, we didn't really have much. Um, my dad moved the year after us. Um, his, his goal was to keep running his business and his company in Russia, in Moscow, um, and travel back and forth. However, that didn't pan out. So my dad's first job in America was Pizza Hut. Uh, he went from being a very successful business owner at, you know, from the age of 30, you know, early 30s, he started his business in Russia. And um, came here at the age of 37 and went to work for Pizza Hut, mopping floors, driving pizzas, making pizzas, um, whatever he could. My mom walked 16 miles a day just to take ESL classes so she could learn English. They both wound up getting their like Microsoft Office degrees um, at like Hennepin Technical Community College after both having, you know, top degrees in Russia. Um, and it was really my mom who pushed my dad into real estate. He went from doing the pizza thing to um, working at a Dyna Couriers, which was like a delivery company where he just delivered random things to businesses. Um, and, you know, he was working 12, 14 hour days just to support the family. And, um, and my mom kind of pushed him into real estate that we bought our first property. You know, we were on Section 8 ourselves when we moved here um, for about a year and a half. And my, my parents wanted to get off it as soon as possible because they've always been independent. And, you know, growing up in the Soviet Union gave them tough skin. So they, didn't want to be on government assistance. That was just their, you know, personality types. And, and so the, we bought our first property in, uh, in Minnetonka in Minnesota. And um, that was probably in about uh, 2000 or so, um, 99 maybe. And that's when they went through that whole process of buying their first property in America. And um, my mom just pushed my dad into it. And and he, you know, he had to take the exam several times because he literally just like memorized what the questions look like because he barely spoke any English. So it was like photographic memory of like the question and the answer that goes with that question. So it took him, I think, three times, which was still pretty good considering he spoke no English. So yeah. that's when he started was around 2000. He joined 
Coldwell Banker, Burnett, and then in 2002, as soon as he could, he opened um, his own brokerage. Yeah, that's funny. It took me three times, and English is my first language, so yeah, I, I remember that. What's that say about me? Um, awesome. Well, yeah, um, we'll talk more about Minneapolis and Section 8 and all that stuff here in a second, too, but why are you in Austin? You know, why come to Austin? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join GoBundance.com slash Emerge, GoBundance.com slash Emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole life millionaire. I mean, if you've ever lived through Minnesota winters, which I know you have, but those who haven't, you'll understand that, you know, if you have the ability to escape the winters, um, you should do that, um, unless you just love not being outside. Um, so, but really the reason is I, I came to Austin for the first time, maybe three, four years ago, and I just kind of fell in love with the city, the energy, the vibe here. Um, and I knew that, you know, my, my goal was to, um, get enough passive income where, you know, my career uh, wouldn't hold me back and where I could travel and I could be where I want to be. Um, and Austin's obviously, as everyone's heard in the news and everything, growing market, it's exploding. Um, I knew I wanted to be involved somehow. I knew I wanted to have real estate here, um, you know, and so I bought back in August. Um, this last August, I closed on a condo thank you jordan for being my realtor here because i'm too lazy to spend 180 hours taking the classes here um so uh i bought the condo there were some issues with blending and stuff so i wound up getting a hard money loan on it which i'll refinance here in a few months out of that but um yeah it's a two-bed one-bath condo it's about 15 minutes south of downtown it's a great location um actually super close to where you just bought your what fourth house hack here um yeah so yeah i love the location i love the city and i wanted to escape the winners that's really why i i'm here awesome um and real quick so you're 100 percent financially free today um you work for yourself that wasn't always the case um so how did you get started investing in real estate and really what did that path look like for everybody listening because i think people say oh i hate my job i gotta get out of my job and have a real short timeline for that if i want to be done next year i'll be done in, in two years sure so for me I, I went to claremont mckenna college it's a smaller large school in southern california i majored in economics and accounting and my first job out of college was a staff accountant working for carlson companies making 50 grand a year this was back in 2013 pretty good money, definitely could afford to do things I wanted to do, um, live on my own, you know, and whatnot. I bought my first uh, investment property. I got my job in March. And in June, I closed on my first duplex in North Minneapolis. It was a four bed, one bath in each unit, and it would cost me $82,000. Um, I cash flowed really well on it. And then, you know, uh, I had a time in my life where I decided real estate wasn't for me. And I, I was kind of a serial entrepreneur and went through different businesses, laser tag, non-emergency medical transportation, vape shops, was just trying to find myself, 
didn't want to do necessarily what my dad did. You know, a lot of kids grow up and they're like, I don't want to do what my parents do or, you know, um, and so I fought it for a long time, but um, that was the first property I bought uh, was back in 2013 or yeah, 13 or 14. Um, and it's worth like 260 now. And I bought it for 82. Um, I sold it to my parents because I didn't want to deal with it when I was younger. Um, but I totally forgot your question. I went in a circle. <laughs> well, what, basically, why did you get started in real estate investing? And then how long did it take you to achieve financial freedom? So oh. everybody wants to achieve financial freedom really quickly. Um, and you got there in your own way. Sure. sure. So yeah, so that first job, I, I knew really quick that I didn't want to work full time my whole life. Uh, I saw the same people walking in with the same lunch bags and coffee mugs looking all sad into their cubicles. And I just knew that wasn't for me. So I quit that job after 13 months and I never really went back to corporate per se. Um, I did all my own things. And then about, you know, five years ago now in, in 2017, I got back into real estate. I got my license back in 2016 in Minnesota. And then I bought my first investment property again in 2017. And at the same time, I was working a full-time job, but I told myself that I'm going to keep my full-time job in the real estate industry. So I wound up working for Graystar, which is the largest property management, multifamily property management company in the world. I think they're close to 700,000 units under management or so, um, and they're all over the world. Um, and so I wound up starting at a job that was paid $15 an hour. I had to humble myself and I wanted to gain the experience and I knew the company was big enough where I could uh, move up pretty fast. And so it took me a total of three years and seven months with that company to be able to quit my full-time job and be financially independent. And that happened two summers ago. Awesome. Yeah. And I think I just wanted to illustrate that point to people where that was actually really quick. I think you did that pretty quickly, three years and seven months to be financially free in my opinions, pretty quickly. And I just wanted to illustrate that point to anybody listening. That's probably around the fastest you're going to be able to do it. I think if you can do it in five years, you're doing pretty well. So it's important just to have that time horizon. And that's if your expenses are reasonable. So you need to make $10,000, $15,000 a month, $20,000 a month. It might take a little longer than that, unless you're willing to to go a certain way with your real estate investments. And we'll talk a little bit how you get really good cash flow here in a minute too. But I think it, it's important to understand that, yeah, it's probably going to take five years and it's probably going to take sucking it up for a while and doing stuff you don't want to do to be able to do whatever you want to do in the long run. And, you know, it's, it's hard to see that when you're starting, but that's just kind of how it is. So, um, what are most of your, pro I guess, your condo in Austin that you live in, um, and you talked about that a little bit, what are you going to do with that when you're not in it? Yeah, so the idea, I, I furnished it all, so it's a two-bed, one-bath, so the idea is that I will use it during the winter months, and then I'll rent it furnished for about six, six to eight months, depending on the year. Um, eventually, obviously, I'm working with lenders now to get further approved uh, to buy more real estate in Austin. So my goal is before I leave here in the springtime is to have another property under my belt here in Austin um, so that I could just keep this as a rental here and move, uh, you know, next winter, move to that next property 
do some house hacking, ideally a duplex, um, something of that nature, and just kind of continue to do that here in Austin. Obviously, the numbers have to make sense and the cash flow, you know, has to be there. And I, I know I can't compare it to my cash flow in Minneapolis just because I do a very niche thing there and uh, the, the numbers are ridiculous. But, you know, I know that if, you know, I make a couple hundred bucks a door here and my mortgage is being paid down and I have the appreciation to look forward in Austin, I'm okay. You know, someone else is paying my mortgage and my expenses. That's great. That's all I really need. Yeah. So what is your niche in Minneapolis that you spoke of? And I think it's important people realize you, you've achieved financial freedom in roughly three and a half years and you had a specific niche that got you there. Yeah. So, I mean, my niche is buying uh, in distressed areas, mostly North Minneapolis. Um, that's where I have, you know, most of my units. Um, the reason I buy North Minneapolis is because obviously there's a lot of properties that need help and need some work. And I, want to create better housing. I do affordable housing. So I do Section 8 housing, um, or Simpson housing, or MHR. Um, there's different entities, you know, stable homes, stable schools, basically all state county funded programs um, that help people who are in need uh, pay their rent. Um, there are some things that are involved with doing Section 8 rentals, like passing their inspections, having yearly inspections, and keeping your property updated. Because um, unfortunately, what happens in a lot of distressed areas, not just in North Minneapolis, but all over the country, is that um, landlords stop taking care of their property. They're charging lower rents, you know, for cash tenants, um, but their properties are destroyed. And that's not what we pride ourselves in. And, and with my property management company, you know, we manage about 50 units right now, um, which like 99% of them are in, in North Minneapolis. So um, yeah. that's kind of, you know, my niche investment strategy so yeah absolutely and that's not something that everybody wants to deal with um and i think you, your company can help them you say hey we can deal with it you can just buy it um so why do you buy there and what's your target for a property in north minneapolis which for people listening um obviously we're talking about austin real estate here on the podcast north minneapolis is probably like I think distressed is the right word for it. It's a, a distressed area in Minneapolis. It's lower income. It's different than any areas you're going to find in Austin. Yeah, so what are you looking for in those areas? What types of properties and why? Yeah, so we look for single family homes um, that are at least four bedroom. Um, we'll buy three bedrooms and make them a four or five bedroom. So we look for properties where we can finish a basement and add a couple bedrooms or we can take a big room, make it into two rooms, take the dining room, take a family room in the basement. So the idea is always to buy something and increase the amount of bedrooms while obviously still making sure to have a dining and a living room for the for our tenants. Um, but the reason we do that is because Section 8 pays by bedroom count. Um, so their rent goes up and you know there isn't any kind of formula and it changes every year and, and rent goes up with Section 8 every year, just like any other landlord who raises the rent every year. Um, and uh, it surprises me how much, how many times I see that landlords just don't increase their rent every year. I mean, we, we increase our rent, you know, four to 7% every year. Um, and Section 8 is cool with it. But um, so we look for single family homes. I personally don't like multifamily uh, just because then you have to deal with, you know, the snow and the lawn care and who's going to do what and the trash around the house and 
tenants tend to kind of blame each other, you know, their neighbors, oh, well, you know, they didn't do that. We did that. And, you know, so I love the single family. Most of the families, you know, they're big families, they're families with, you know, six to 11, 12 children. Uh, so when we house, you know, our smallest property has eight people in it, probably seven, eight people. Wow. Um, and our, and our six bedroom houses have, you know, 12 to 14 people in them. Um, and, and they obviously want their own yard and they want their own space and their own house. So they know their kids are going to run around and be loud. And so that's kind of what we look for. We do nice updates to them. Um, we'll paint, we'll put in new floors, we'll, you know, update kitchens and bathrooms if we need to. Um, and we provide nice housing for, you know, for those who are in need. Nice. So you see a lot of properties because you're a property manager and a rental property investor. Um, could you tell our listeners some advice on how to avoid pitfalls or a bad deal or something you don't want? You know, so I know if you're looking for a property to run a section eight rental out of, there's certain things you're not looking for, or, you know, like you said, there's reasons you don't like multifamily. Could you just give our listeners some advice on how to avoid a bad deal? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the numbers have to work and you have to always budget, you know, for, you know, remodel expenses that you don't see happening. I, I bought a property in a duplex in Orono this last May and Orono is uh, west suburbs of the Twin Cities and it's by Lake Minnetonka. It's a nice area. Um, and I found out that there were foundation issues, you know, and that sent me back an extra 10 grand in my budget, you know. Um, there were some plumbing issues and things like that. So you're always going to potentially um, go over budget and, and some projects. So you want to make sure you account for that. But the biggest thing, if you're talking about Section 8 um, housing and what to look for is uh, the big thing is uh, lead-based paint or chipped paint, things like that. Because, you know, obviously most of these families have kids that are below six years of age. And that's really who gets impacted the most. So you want to make sure that, you know, if your property is older than 1978, that you go through and you paint everything and you, you, you know, uh, make sure there's no chipped or peeling paint so that your tenants can be healthy and, and not have to worry about that. And that's something they look at during the inspection as well. So if we're talking about Section 8 housing, that would be my biggest uh, point of advice is make sure you go through every single um, piece, uh, you know, windowsills, door trim, walls, exterior, everything, uh, soffits, fascia, anything, uh, can't have any chip or peeling paint. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know that it's a big deal. And I don't know if they even discriminate before 1978. I think if they see it, they're probably upset about it. But of course, before 1978, that's a, a big risk. If they find lead paint, it can be painful for you, the landlord. Yeah, and I have experience with that. My One of my first properties that I bought in 2017, once I got back into real estate investing, I, I had a duplex in North Minneapolis and my contractor missed two windows. So there was chipped paint in the windowsill in between the two windows. And so the, the Section 8 inspector caught it and they requested a, you know, uh, for me to do testing and things like that and get a clearance report from the county. Um, I didn't, you know, I obviously had to think about it and I wound up selling that property and that actually wound up uh, making me some good money that I invested into other real estate. But that's, you know, that's happened to me. That's why now I, I'm very careful. And, uh, you know, our maintenance techs who do our turns, I make sure that I tell them to go through every single, you know, nook and cranny of the property and make sure that, that it's just taken care of. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So again, guys, anybody listening, the property's built before 1978. Make sure you pay attention to the paint. Chipped and peeling paint can really hurt you. Luckily, there's not a ton of properties built before 1978 in Austin, but there's a fair amount. So especially if you're looking at multifamily or older properties closer to downtown, there's tons of properties built for 1978 in those areas. And that can hurt you if you're trying to do any sort of uh, subsidized housing or any housing. You, you should make sure lead-based paint's taken care of in any housing. Um, and Gregory, what's one thing you tell some newer investors you work with? What's one thing you want newer investors to know when they're getting started? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. You know, the biggest thing that I, I tell the investors that I work with, and a lot of them are younger folks, you know, who are just starting to get into it. Um, you know, there's such a big worry about the economy right now and what's going to happen and what's going to happen with the real estate market. Is it going to crash? Is it going to keep going up? Is it, you know, and, and if there was anybody who could predict that, they'd be a happy person. Um, you kind of never know with the real estate market, just like you don't with the stock market, you know. Um, but the biggest thing I tell people is if the numbers make sense today, buy it. Because um, to me, you know, that's that everyone always asks me, why am I buying through the peak of the market or what people's perspective is that it's the peak of the market? Um, and I tell people, well, if I bought this property for 230000 and it's going to gross me twenty eight fifty a month, um, way over the 1% rule, the cash flow is definitely there. Uh, you know, my mortgage on that property is probably 1200 bucks, 13, you know, two, 300 bucks for, for vacancy and expenses. And I'm still cash flowing, you know, 12, 1300 bucks a month. So, you know, um, to me, I, I just always tell people that don't overthink it and don't think in the future or the past, just think today. And if the numbers work, then buy the deal. Uh, because to me, if my properties are that are worth 250, 260 right now, become you know worth fifty thousand tomorrow that doesn't matter to me because the cash flow is still there i'm still making rental income my mortgage is still being paid by somebody else and i know that in five to ten years it's i'll be in a good spot again so i'm just not worried about that and that's kind of what i what i tell my investor younger investors yeah i think especially with what you're doing with section eight the and you know the rents are always going up section eight's not going to call one day and say oh rent's going down by fifty percent and Rents have not ever dropped that dramatically. I think in periods of time where you've seen distress in rental markets, rents have been flat or taken slight declines, but there's never been just a cratering of rents. Everybody fears that, but you can't find any spot in history where that's happened. Um, maybe, it, I mean, if you say, oh, you know, there's a geographical area where everybody just vacated the area and rents went down a lot. Yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with the overall economy. That's absolutely not happening to Austin. You know, that's not going to happen if you have some sort of Section 8 property when there's a humongous shortage of Section 8 property available. So just know what you're doing. Know where you're buying. Don't buy in a market that you think is going to decline massively because all they do is is oil and gas work there. And you say, oh, in 30 years, maybe oil and gas might not be that much. But yeah, I think if, if the numbers work today, rents are going to go up. 
So prices, who knows, you know, prices might level off. They might keep going up or they might go down a little bit. Just don't sell. You only lose money when you sell. Um, awesome. So what's your favorite business or mindset podcast that you like to listen to? You know, I, I listen to a lot of bigger pockets podcasts. It's probably a lot of people who are in real estate do. Um, I, I love most of their guests and especially ones that don't necessarily aren't necessarily in real estate. Um, Cause I'm in real estate 24 seven. I talk about it with people. I can have a 10 hour phone conversation with another investor just because I, I love it. And that's my passion. Uh, but I love it when they have, you know, guests who are talking about kind of um, the spirituality side of things or the mental mindset and kind of how, how you have to perceive things and just kind of not let things get to you. Because if I, you know, I, I deal with all kinds of situ situations, being a property manager, manager, especially with Section 8 housing. Um, and if I would let that stuff get to me, I, I would, well, I already don't have hair, but I'd probably lose my beard at this point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 to me, it's just, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, in your podcast, pretty good, too. Um, well, yeah. No, but uh, yeah, I listen to a lot of, I mean, on my drive down here, that's like basically all I listened to was like the last seven episodes of the Bigger Pockets podcast. So I just love them. Yeah, no, they're great stuff. Love the Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, and again, for anybody listening, Bigger Pockets is not just a podcast. They have a website with forums and all sorts of stuff too. Um, Grigori, what's next for you? What are your long-term goals and what's your your vision in real estate obviously you're financially free now so where are you going to go sure so my primary focus right now is to keep growing out our property management um, team back in minnesota and the twin cities um, with the niche of section 8 housing i don't think there's a lot of property management companies that kind of specialize in that so i, I kind of want to be that person um, just because it kind of happened that way um, by nature um, in terms of investing um, I want to buy more real estate here in Austin, obviously. So get ready, Jordan, to go look at a bunch of places. Um, and then uh, and then in Minnesota, I want to keep buying single families that are going to cash flow me over 30, 35% cash on cash returns because that's what all of them do. Some of them are now infinite returns because I've burned them and I've gotten, you know, 90% of my cash out of out of the deal. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm looking for in the near future, long-term in the next... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 32 years old and I told myself by 35, I want to own my first 50 to 100 unit building. So that's going to be kind of my next long-term, you know, kind of long-term two to three year plan is to uh, basically start looking and, and get into multifamily just because I have the close to four years of experience in multifamily property management going from leasing to assistant manager to property manager. So I know what to look for. I know, you know, I can look at the budget and I can make sense of it and I can audit the property management company there and see if they're doing a great job or not. Um, or maybe even start my own, who knows? Um, but that's kind of my, you know, short-term to, to semi-long-term plans. Thanks. Yeah, no, I think that plays well together. You've got all that property management experience. Um, you've got an accounting background to, the, the multifamily real estate is all numbers, but especially multifamily. Mm -hmm. um, what's the best way people can get a hold of you? So let's say somebody's looking for property management advice or they need to maybe use your services. What's the best way somebody can get a hold of you? 
Sure. So we have a website and I'm about to kind of redo everything, but it's Algoa Realty, A-L-G-O Realty.com. Uh, I am a realtor, Gregory on Instagram. Uh, I post a lot of my uh, remodels and our deals and a lot of food because uh, I'm a foodie as well um, on my Instagram. That's realtor, Gregory, G-R-I-G-O-R-I-Y. Um, yep. Those are kind of the two two places. And we'll put all this in the show notes too, guys. So remember, anytime you ever want to hear more about somebody, look in the show notes and there's links to everything they do in there. Um, last question, most important question. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin here? Man, I've been to a lot of them here, but uh, for me, it's it's uh, Terry Black's. It's probably going to have to do it uh, for barbecue. The one in Lockhart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. close enough to austin because the the one in barton springs gets so busy the line's like three blocks out the door so absolutely yeah anybody listening to that hasn't been to lockhart and eaten some of the barbecue there schmitty's terry black's it's like the original barbecue places that have all branched off into chains that are all around central texas now but it's really cool well, awesome, Grigori. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, again, anybody needs to reach out to Grigori, it's algorealty.com and RealTurkGrigori on Instagram. I'm sure he'd love to talk. Yep. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. It's been a blast. All right. Thank you.